The Rudy Giuliani Show. This is Rudy Giuliani. Welcome to the Rudy Giuliani Show. And we are, once again, right outside the baseball park in uh, Man- Man- Manchester, New Hampshire. The Manchester Fisher Cats, who are not home. So the ballpark looks beautiful. I feel like I'm, I'm on it, like Field of Dreams. So I'll be in a good mood today. I usually am in a good mood until we mention a few subjects. Let's begin with the trip of our president to the Middle East, which is always a significant occasion, but of course much more significant now in light of the unbelievably high price of energy, even with the so-called reductions in the price of gasoline that Biden is talking about, the base price of gasoline compared to when he came into office is, what, about three times what it was, and it still costs a fortune to come to New Hampshire. It costs two and a half times what it cost when he first became president, Um, and that's just for going to New Hampshire. So I'm sure that all of you... uh, all of you, and beyond that, there's an awful lot else at stake. Uh, through Obama giving Russia a foothold in the Middle East, Russia is now a player in the Middle East because of Syria, and because of Obama and um, Biden giving billions and billions of dollars to Iran, they have become a player. That was part of the last deal with Iran, and here he is. Here he is trying to bring. Israel and Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia in particular, on his side. Now, um, there are at least two issues with Saudi Arabia. Now, one, of, one of both, both of which are going to be pretty hard to solve. Uh, one of them is a self-inflicted uh, wound uh, that he 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 did to himself. But I mean, there are so many of those. It's hard to it's hard to really a- analyze every single one of them. Uh, but both of both of them, he he keeps um, he keeps handling he keeps handling it so poorly that it's very very hard to understand how he gets himself out of it. Let's first li- listen to his uh, likening the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to the Irish Troubles. Oh, I'm afraid that's a story and not a cut number. That was the um, that was the that was the um, that was the story on which he talked about how the problems that are going on between. Israel and Palestine are like the problems between the British and uh, Northern Ireland and the south of Ireland. It's just hard to know who the bad guys are and who who they aren't and who's getting insulted here. Not exactly the smartest thing to do, nor was it very smart to say this if you're going to have to go to Saudi Arabia and beg for oil. Number four. I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. There's very little social redeeming value of the, in the present uh, government in Saudi Arabia. 
Well, this is the reason why at uh, first he wasn't sure whether he was going to go or not. Then he decided he was going to go. Then he wasn't going to sure whether wasn't sure whether he was going to sh- shake hands, bump fists, bump elbows. I'm glad he didn't bump elbows because the way he was walking, it looked to me like he would have gotten knocked down if he had bumped elbows. He looked like he could hardly stand. Uh, but he pumped fists with uh, with the with the Saudis. So he didn't shake hands with them. Um, that should help in getting them to release more oil. But I'll tell you, it's really a non-starter because uh, this is a situation in which there is a fundamental disagreement. The fundamental disagreement between him and the Saudis and Israelis. Him on one hand, the Saudis and Israelis on the other. They firmly believe that Iran should not become a nuclear power. They firmly believe that if he has an agreement with them, they will become a nuclear power. They do not believe he will be able to contain Iran any more than he was able to contain Russia. In fact, his affection for Iran is uh, uh, completely baffling. Why he insists on wanting to have an agreement with Iran who doesn't want one uh, is baffling. Just maybe he wants to see Israel destroyed. I don't know. But the Israeli prime minister, I thought, tried to lecture him as nicely as he could. This is cut number seven. He made it absolutely clear. We will not, let me say it again, we will not allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. I continue to believe that diplomacy is the best way to achieve this outcome. Words will not stop them, Mr. President. Diplomacy will not stop them. The only way to stop them is to put a credible military threat on the table. Well, that's what you call a real guy, Joe. Like you're not. You stopped being one the first bribe you took. Boy, that took a pair of you-know-what to interrupt you. The good thing is you won't remember it because you're so damn demented. I mean, we, uh, th- I have to say the Israeli prime minister sounds like he doesn't take a lot of bull. That was the biggest bunch of crap that I heard. <laughs> you and Obama are on Iran's side. You have been for since, since 2008. The agreement was absurd. You gave them billions of dollars so they could use it for terrorists, including terrorists who were killing us. It was almost as bad as the $85 billion you left behind for the Afghan terrorists. I don't know what's wrong with you, but there's something seriously wrong with you. And, it is, and if it isn't uh, complete dementia, then it's evil. I mean, uh, it's just absurd. It's just absurd that you want to go back to a deal that makes Iran a nuclear power and gives them billions of dollars. But listen to number 21, which is what makes this whole thing there ridiculous because they're not going to do anything for you. Listen to 21. I think it was a gigantic mistake for the last president to get out of the deal. They're closer to a nuclear weapon now than they were before. You, uh, in the past, said you'll do anything, and you say it again, that you'll ensure Iran would not acquire nuclear weapons. Does that also mean, sir, that you would use uh, force against Iran? Is that what that means? If that was the last resort, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the reality is that if he is going to go there insisting that he's going to pursue a deal with Iran 
Saudi Arabia is going to continue to get closer to Russia. It's going to continue to get closer to Israel, which is good. That's good. The second part, the first part is it. And they're going to basically say to Biden, go to hell. Simple as that, because from their point of view, and he is not intellectually capable of accepting this. He wouldn't have been when he was younger either. Uh, the, the Saudis have made up their own mind that a nuclear Iran is too dangerous for them. The Israelis made up their mind when the, when the, when, when the Iranians said they're going to kill the Jews. Might not be a, uh, uh, such a bad time to make up your mind. For some reason, you like Iran. I don't know what it is about you Democrats and why you like Iran so much. But it is a very dangerous, dangerous thing, not dissimilar to your great affection for China, which is why you should be the hell out of office, every single damn one of you. I got to tell you, man, what you have done to screwing up what Trump put together in the Middle East is outrageous. With the Abraham Accords, we had the most peaceful, best situation in the Middle East. We were putting together a coalition that challenged, even after you brought Russia in, that challenged what you, what you would call the, the, the Iranian hegemony in the northern part of the Middle East with the strongest army in the region, the second strongest army in the region, Israel, Egypt, the richest country, Saudi Arabia. Some of those other countries that per capita uh, could be close, possibly even richer, like Qatar. And now, now you now. Uh, now you've got them saying to themselves, okay, maybe we need uh, nuclear weapons also. Uh, th 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 just one more indication of why you're the worst president in the history of the United States. Just one more. Well, let's get, let's get back to home. In addition to having to read all these things about New York City's uh, crime being up, overall crime being up 38%, which is uh, astounding since we theoretically elected a law and order mayor and he's doing a worse job than the last one. New York City now is the uh, city in America with the second worst odor. I don't know how they determined that, but we came out number two as a city that stinks. Um, I, I don't agree with it. I mean, I don't go around smelling everything in the city, but I don't notice it smelling any different. It is dirtier than it was. I'm very offended by the enormous amount of graffiti throughout the city, which I'd gotten rid of, because I see uh, graffiti as a sign of disorder, as a sign of lack of respect for the rights of other people, because in many cases, it's really just a matter of destroying other people's property. It's not their property. They have no right to put on there whatever they, whatever they think it is. And of course, of course, of course, of course, of course, we had another day of crime one after another, after another, after another. A 62-year-old man was stabbed in the stomach during a fight with another man on a, on a New York City train. Thank you for the security on the subways, Adams. A security guard was stabbed by apparently an enraged customer at a New York City bank. Uh, a man attempts to steal the French bulldog as the owner was, walked into a, a New York City building. Uh, crime after crime after crime. The New York Times tries to give you a break by saying you talk about crime too much and that murders are actually down. With the five additional murders, they're hardly now even down. But in any event, murder is not the crime that affects most of the other, most people. 
I mean, what, uh, at most, there are going to be five, six hundred murders. But there are thousands and thousands and thousands of thefts and forcible assaults and felonious assaults. And, and they're all up and they amount to about 37%, which means that the crime in the city is 35% now more pervasive than when it came up. And that's the reason people are afraid, not because you appear on television too much when there are murders, uh, even though the New York Times would like to come up with that pathetic excuse uh, for, uh, for you. Uh, it's really amazing, uh, the excuses that the liberals come up with. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back. Maybe we'll take a question or two, and then we're going to have with us a gentleman that knew Ivana Trump, because I did know Ivana Trump also, particularly when uh, she and Donald were married, and she's a very, very fine lady, and I'd like you to get a little bit of a flavor of what she was like. Uh, she was really an exceptional exceptional, it turns out, an exceptional New Yorker. We'll be back right after the break. America's Mayor, Rudy Giuliani. This is Rudy Giuliani, back with you with the Rudy Giuliani Show. You know, this whole situation, uh, tragic, I guess, situation of this young girl who was raped in Ohio that Biden talked about, and it appeared as if it didn't happen, and then it did happen, and uh, it turns out that the person... The person who um, the person who did it was a um, was an was an illegal was an illegal immigrant, and they kept referring to him as just something you know without making reference to that and a whole bunch of aspects to it. The strangest one of all, however, is the article in the Daily Mail in which the mother of the girl, uh, the ten-year-old girl who was forced to get the abortion in Indiana after, quote, being raped by illegal migrant, says the daughter is fine and defends the suspect, saying everything they say about him is a lie. Now, I, I wonder if she's disputing whether it took place. I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine that a mother would find the rape of a 10-year-old or sex with a 10-year-old, fine. There's something missing in this story, and we'll try, to f we'll try to figure it out as best we can, but it isn't, it isn't exactly, uh, it doesn't really hang together all that well. Let's go to Jeff in Brooklyn. Good afternoon, Your Honor. How are you, Jeff? Thank God. How about yourself, Your Honor? Good, 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 good. My question, please, is regarding the January 6th committee and its one-sidedness, and I'm wondering, is there any kind of legal remedy that you, President Trump, and or anyone else being damaged, disparaged, or libeled uh, has against either the witnesses testifying, if it's perjury, if it's defamation, the selection by the committee of, of, of one-sided uh, evidence, no uh, cross-examination, the witnesses are only those who fit their agenda. Is there anything they're doing which can be legally fought? Is there any kind of remedy against the way they are handling this, like it's Stalin's time? Well, there should be. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, there have been lawsuits brought against it, and they haven't prevailed, and the court has basically taken the position that it's a political question, and they should stay out of it. But if you would like my, put my legal hat on for a moment, I believe it is a violation of uh, any number of constitutional rights by the government 
and therefore it should be uh, there both should be damages against the committee, and and it should be enjoined. Uh, it's it's one thing for a um, for a House or a Senate committee to conduct uh, hearings by their own rules, and the courts should not get involved in it, and they don't have to be conducted quite like trials. But it's another thing when you conduct a hearing with an entirely partisan committee, in other words, all Democrats or Republican traitors, no, no, no Republican there to cross-examine for, uh, for the man they're trying to prosecute, Donald Trump. Uh, no attempt to have any kind of cross-examination, no attempt to call any additional witnesses. Uh, abbreviated, uh, edited testimony, so bad that it, it's become like a documentary. So, in, for example, they have a tape of me finishing a sentence, not giving you the beginning of the sentence, which gives an entirely different meaning to the sentence. They have that woman testify, uh, all of it from hearsay uh, testimony. In my case, she says that I was offered a I was offered a pardon and that someone told her that. Well, that's hearsay. Someone told her that. She doesn't know of her own knowledge whether I was or I wasn't. Well, I wasn't offered a pardon. Uh, they didn't bother to put that testimony in of mine, by the way, which they have. They have other things they put in, but not that. Nor have they, did they give me an opportunity to call the witnesses that would establish that. Or when she talked about the uh, uh, Secret Service agents, I don't know. But if they questioned the Secret Service agents in the sneaky way in which they questioned me, they probably asked them. And they probably have on tape the Secret Service agents' denial of what she was saying. And that's not presented to the public. So they can evaluate whether she's telling the, 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 the truth or not. And then with regard, to the, with regard to the incident on December 18th, they actually leave out the a role that I played in that incident and make it sound like I was thrown out of the White House, which is totally untrue. I, I came there at the president's request in the middle of the argument that was going on, and I was asked to resolve it, which I did, and I resolved it um, to re resolved it in favor of there shouldn't be any, uh, any uh, use of uh, warrants by the military to uh, seize to seize machines, and it angered one side, and it didn't anger the other, and they've got it totally confused, and they have me being walked out by Mark Meadows. Of course, he didn't walk me out at all since I came there, and I ended up agreeing with him and with uh, Hirschman and with, and with uh, Pat, and he walked me out uh, because it was very late at night. <laughs> we were both kind of tired, <laughs> and my, my son came to pick me up, and it's a complete false impression that they give. So, yeah, but, I mean, these people are professional liars. Why they're allowed to do this. I also think the uh, Russian collusion thing should be held against them. I mean, before they're allowed to do one of these things, uh, there should be a presumption that they're going to lie, cheat, steal, and make things up and exaggerate. Uh, and, and then how, how, in good faith, as a decent human being, can you investigate this and not be curious about what happened to Ashley Babbitt, since she's the only person that died that day inside City Hall. In fact, she was murdered that day. When you watch that tape, if you don't come away with it with more questions than answers, then you're not a very intelligent person, or you're a person who just doesn't, ca just doesn't care. Let's go to Judith in Brooklyn. Hey, 
Rudy. Hope you're feeling good. Oh, I'm. Oh, thank you. And isn't that nice that you ask? I'm feeling much better, Judith. Much better. Very I'm, strong. I'm always. I'm always concerned about you. I really am. So I'll I'm be back in New York for the Sunday it. show with Dr. Ryan. <laughs> We're going to have a great show. We're going to uncover the truth. We've got so much truth to deal with. It's going to take us from now until then to prepare. Your show is always the best. And I want to tell you something. The Democrats, to me right now, they are now the party of evil. Everyone, they're just the party of evil. That's what they stand for, and that's what they're doing. It's terrible. You know, Rudy, I'm calling because just like January 6th committee are so full of lies. That's all they're doing. Now with this whole Israel-Palestinian thing coming in, we're talking about it. Israel does not control the Palestinians. You hold on, and we'll, we'll pick it up when you, when you get back, and then we'll have, our, we'll have Todd. Take, take a few minutes. Get ready for part two. It's going to be terrific. Network. This is Rudy Giuliani, back with the Rudy Giuliani Show. And, Judith, I'm sorry we had to interrupt, but why don't you finish your thought? Thank you so much. No, I was talking about, you know, it bothers me so much. Lies. Lies bother me wherever it's told. And there are so many lies against Israel. It makes me crazy, too. Israel does not control the Palestinians. They gave up control since 2005. It's the Hamas who control the Palestinians and keep them under thumb and whatever. So, like, and if you want to know, they call Israel apartheid, but it's the Hamas over there. Palestinians, they don't have one Jew over there. But if you look in Israel, they've got two million Arab Muslims over there, and they all have rights, like any citizen, first-class rights. The only thing they can't do is go to military. And let me tell you, in the government of Israel, they have 13 Arab representatives there. So uh, you won't have that in 22 Arab countries. Why do they keep making out like Israel's apartheid, Israel's bad, when Israel's the one that bends over backwards to try to be so democratic and try to be so fair, and the lies you know, keep going. When, when you say that, Judith, what occurs to me is maybe the first really example of total, complete, fictional reporting, malicious fictional reporting, was Israel and Palestine going back about 30 years ago when the press switched sides and made Israel the bad guy. You know, it now it now culminates in the in the Trump coverage and the coverage of the people around Trump and the myth they create that he's some kind of demon. Uh, and, and of course, what they leave out. I happen to be in a particularly unusual position. I investigated Yasser Arafat 30 plus years ago, and I uh, have particular knowledge of all the Americans that he murdered. And when Clinton would be with him, I would have an image in my in my hands of an American president with American blood all over his hands. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but a long time ago I threw Arafat out of a UN uh, uh, concert. It was a private concert. My people had raised the money for it. They had specifically not invited people like Castro and Arafat and murderers. But Castro, Arafat was the one I was mainly upset with because I had investigated him for the murder of Leon Klinghoffer. And uh, he was there, and I had my people go up and say, "Get the hell out of here! We don't, we don't, we don't uh, allow murderers at uh, concerts like this. Get out of here!" At first, he wouldn't do it. I think he took a look at me, and he got out. It isn't that they had didn't threaten to kill me after that, but um, I mean, the reality is, we picked the wrong side there, 
were glorifying the wrong side. And uh, Arafat uh, was a complete uh, fabrication and a, a Clinton detour that was enormously destructive. Clinton put all his eggs in one basket, Arafat. Arafat was stealing all the money he was getting. I guess he and Clinton felt rather comfortable in that way because they stole all the money they went to Haiti, the Clintons. And uh, to this day, you've got Hamas that uh, is a te- terrorist, and you have Fatah that are a bunch of criminals and take all the money. So we're going to give Palestine another bunch of millions from the crook Biden. And it's going to get stolen by, uh, the, by, by Hamas or Fatah or both. It won't get to the people, which is similar to what Biden was used to in Ukraine. That's what happens when you elect a president that's a 30-year criminal. Well, we lost a really, really wonderful woman, a great New Yorker, uh, at one time very, very, you know, uh, uh, present among the front pages and the uh, uh, television of New York when she was the wife of Donald Trump, and they were probably the couple number one in New York. I know her from back then, uh, but Todd Shapiro, who I have on with me, knows knew her even better. And I'd like you to uh, tell us a little, uh, Todd, uh, what kind of person was I- I- Ivana Trump? So Ivana was probably one of the sweetest and toughest individuals I ever met in my life. She, yep. When she ran the, um, you know, um, I... I wound up becoming a publicist because um, um, her, Catherine Saxton was a publicist for many, many years, and she passed away. And I filled the void for Ivana, and she, um, she, you know, she was just a wonderful human being. We used to have lunch over at Nello's, um, you know, once a week, if not, you know, twice a month for for years. And we would just sit down and we would talk about stories about her and Donald. Or, We'll talk about stories about her and, you know, um, you know how she took the Plaza Hotel and, right. you know, she took the Plaza Hotel and she took it and made it into, it was falling apart at one time. And she came in when Donald brought in there and she was a force of nature. She made that, she, she made every chandelier, everything perfectly like, like the no tomorrow. <laughs> then, when Donald went down to, then when Donald went down to Atlantic City. She ran the casinos to make sure when they opened it up, she she handled everything. She was a fourth. You know, he thought he was, you know, just getting married and being happy. I remember well, those days. He was. Right? We all do. But That's, you know, but that's they, when they I first got to know them. Yeah, but she was a, she was a partner besides in, in love she, and, and family and marriage. She was a partner in business that kept everything Are, going. Aren't you amazed that the children turned out so well? Now, think about all the trouble that happened, right? I mean, they, they had a breakup of a marriage. There was the Marlowe situation, the other situation. There was all the bad press, all the difficulties. However, I admire tremendously. Are we talking about, are we talking about you or talking about her? Her. I admire, I admire tremendously how well Donald and Ivanka and Eric, what fine people they are, having come from a situation where in many cases – Things fall apart. That has to be a credit to her and, of course, to, to, to the president, to, to the two of them. Because, because to Ivana, family always came first. And, and, to, and to the president, the family always came first. No matter, what, no matter where they were, no matter what she did, 
no matter what was the world, she made sure the kids were with her. She made sure they had everything. Even to this day, I think Ivana's mom is in her, you know, late 90s. She she took care of her mom. Yeah, she and did. Imagine, you know, she, she took care of her mom, and she made sure her mom had everything. And, you know, there's so many great stories about how, how they met and um, some of the things they did. And, you know, they, they, were, they, were just, they, they were in love. And maybe it's a good example of something. I think they were still in love in a certain way. And they and they uh, and they kept a they kept a connection because of the children, and Donald paid for the for the last wedding. Remember, Donald paid for the last wedding. <laughs> um, every that's crazy. And every every week she would speak to um she would speak to um Ivana. Every week, um, Ivana and Donald would speak on the phone about different yeah, things. Nice, very family. nice. And they would laugh, and they would have different, different, different things. And it was the only thing—I mean, she, when she walked down Madison Avenue, she, she was the first lady of Madison Avenue. That's a very good description. We'll leave it with that, uh, Todd. That's an excellent description. There isn't anybody that knows much more about New York than Todd, and that's a great—that is a great way to describe it. I'm going to tell a story about when I was in the. Plaza Hotel once. I don't remember at what point in my career. It was before I was mayor. And um, I was having lunch with some people, and she came over, and there were these, there was this couple with two little girls behind me, and they had been talking about the book. I think it's called Eloise, which is about the plaza. And when she came over to say hello to me, I said, these young, little young girls here are all excited about the plaza because of Eloise. And Ivana knew all about Eloise, and she said goodbye to me, and she turned to them, and she took them on a tour of the plaza. And I thought for a lady as busy, busy as her, as rich as her, as important as her, to do that, she just loved people. And I, she, 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 don't, she, don't you she think? loved people. Yep, she loved people. And you, you know the story how they met, right, Rudy? Tell it, tell it. So, so she met, Donald and her met, and you know what? Um, you know, and um, they met um, at a place called Maxwell Plums, which was one of the most iconic yep, places, yep, probably yep. one of the hardest places to get in. Um, you know, Ivana in her day was one of the most beautiful models from Czechoslovakia, came in, she was on the ski team. She came in, she was flawless. She came to the, to the front desk, she couldn't get a table. A really handsome Donald Trump comes by and says, I got you. So got her a table, she goes back to her two girlfriends who were with her. She goes, I got good news. And I got bad news. Well, the good news is we got a table. The bad news is we got this guy's joining us. And, you know, which was, and it gets better. It gets better. So they wind, they wind up, and Ivana tells the story. I must have heard it three times from her. So it gets better. They wind up sitting down and stuff like that. Donald doesn't drink alcohol, never did. He, they wind up going back. Um, he leaves them. He goes outside. All of a sudden, they leave. There's Donald Trump in this beautiful limousine, leaning against it. Ivana comes out to impress everything. She gets into the limousine, except there's no driver. Well, the driver had off that day. Donald had to drive him home. (laughs) (laughs) You you couldn't make up that story if you wanted to make up that story. Well, thanks a lot, Todd. I'll see you soon. 
All right. Have a great week. All Thank right. You so Thank much. and thanks Bye-bye. for the thanks for the for contributing that. I mean, it's really important to get a sense of the humanity of the people that we that we deal with and sometimes uh, criticize and who knows who knows what else we do to them. It's terrible. But this this was really a very very fine a very fine lady and a obviously exceptional mom. Exceptional mom. Now now of course uh, uh, it would be valuable if we had her around because I think she might have been able to answer these questions better than uh, I think the next election coming up uh, 22 is going to be between the party that can define the name, uh, the definition of woman and the party that cannot. So let's listen to a now Supreme Court justice seem to have some real trouble with defining what is a woman. This is number 28. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N- not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Now, the, uh, that lady, Katanji Brown, is now on the Supreme Court of the United States, and she cannot define woman. Then, of course, a couple of days ago, we got into this exchange in the Howell Halls of Congress, number 29. Your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? Would someone at some point call in a bunch of, you don't have to do it today. We, we can wait until next week or maybe on, on covering the truth on Sunday with, with Dr. Ryan. Maybe I'll ask her the question because she is a biologist, you know, and studied biology as part of her medical studies and science studies. And uh, maybe she can define a woman. Um, but in any event, what's going on? What kind of nonsense is this? Uh, I mean, uh, and and this entire political party remains silent with this craziness going on. We're going to tell our our children it's not easy to define a man and a woman. I mean, this is uh, societal insanity. It really is. It's societal insanity. And we are uh, once again fighting over the horses on on uh, Fifth Avenue. Uh, this never ends. This, this began, when I ran for mayor, I had to take a position on this. This was in 19, uh, may have been 80, or way back in 89, certainly by 93. And I went down there and I actually spent a day with the, um, mostly, they were mostly then, I assume they still are, Irish immigrants. And I spent a day with them and I watched them take care of the horses and they take very good care of those horses. And at the time, I really had a, I, I still love horses, but I didn't, I don't have the time. But at the time, I had a great interest in horses. And um, I was, I ran a, you don't know this, but I ran a coal company in Hazard, Kentucky. And the only thing you could do to relax was to watch the horse races. And most of the people I was in business with owned horses. So I was all involved with horses. And, and they took uh, very, very good care of these horses, and there was a simple reason why they did. I mean, first of all, they're good people. These are basically hardworking, good people. These are not the people in the city we have trouble with. And number two, 
the horse is their livelihood. If that horse breaks down, it's like, uh, you know, somebody has one taxi and it breaks down. They take good care of the horse. They make sure it's in good physical condition. They make sure it's fed well. They make sure it's not worked too hard, therefore not get, gets worn out. They have a vested interest in the health of the horse. Now, this is a, what, so the horse does some work. God made horses to do work. What's wrong with horses doing work? This may be the same people who don't think people should do work, which is about half the people in New York now. And Biden is giving them benefits and bonuses for not working and wants to pass a bill that will give him even more benefits and bonuses for not working. There's something about the left-wing socialist communist crew that has something against work. I even have read books by animal psychologists and psychiatrists that say that the horses that do that work all their life, when they put them out to um, pasture, they die right away because they lose their purpose in life. Did you ever think of that? Work is ennobling, even for a horse. So we'll be back with the mayor's final word. Rudy Giuliani. Former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Welcome back to the Rudy Giuliani Show. And yes, it is the mayor's final thoughts, sponsored by this really remarkable organization, Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Tunnel to Towers is there for our uniformed offices when they lose their lives in, in, in service to us or are catastrophically injured. They're there for the families to make sure that the families have, have uh, the mortgage taken care of and the house taken care of and the necessities taken care of and the practicalities taken care of. And they're there for, for those that are injured so that they can have the maximum amount of independence in leading their lives. It's the least that we can do for those who make it possible for us to be safe. T2T.org, $11 a month, and they'll take care of your obligation. No, you won't. Think about more, okay? Thank you. So my final thought uh, today is going to be about Iran and about um, uh, what's going on there because it's so consequential to, um, to our, our future. The debacle in Iran that Obama brought about uh, had to be one of the worst moments in American foreign policy until uh, we had Biden in Afghanistan uh, and leaving the, ter- the terrorists $85 billion worth of arms. Uh, that exchange of money, of cash, from Biden to uh, Iran was... Um, Again, uh, before before um, before the treachery of uh, Joe Biden, uh, one of the most treacherous acts ever performed by an American president. Now we all know that Iran is a, the largest state sponsor of terrorism. The definition of state sponsor of terrorism is that Iran, more than any other country, gives um, military arms and money to terrorists who by and large are focused against the West, uh, America being one of the major targets as well as our allies, not just Israel, but Britain, whatever. Uh, You send them cash. You have got to know it's intended for terrorists unless you're a fool. 
Countries transact business by wire, not by cash. It's terrorists and drug dealers who transact business by cash. So Obama knew, had to know, he was funding terrorism when he turned all that money over to the largest sponsor of terrorism in the world. He also knows that half their budget goes to terrorists. So at least half that money was going to go to kill people. And he, I don't think he even gave a damn that some of them might be Americans. Over the course of the next several years, they killed many Americans, and they attempted to kill one that's talking to you right now. Twice they put together um, expeditions to bomb where I was in Albania and where I was in Paris. And the one in Paris would have included, uh, it wasn't just focused on me, it was focused on the head of the MEK, it was focused on Newt Gingrich, it was focused on Michael Mukasey, it was focused on Tom Ridge, it was focused on, I can go on and on and on, a whole group of, uh, and then, then I can give you a whole group of uh, former heads of state of European governments, all united in the opposition to the reign of terror. There is tremendous opposition to the reign of terror, it's bipartisan both political parties there are people who aren't and they are largely the radicals and the communists that include joe biden that seem to favor iran to favor iran is an act of evil because the uh, leadership of iran are evil people they've killed hundreds of thousands of their own people they continue to do it right now it's run by an Ayatollah who is a maniac, and it's run by a grump, group of mullahs who are no different except worse than the uh, capos that used to run the uh, – well, there are two types of capos, the ones that used to run the, uh, the uh, concentration camp and the ones that used to run the mafia. Well, they're somewhere in there. But when, you, when I say mullah, you think religious leader. I think shakedown artist who's a multimillionaire taking money from his people and passing that money on to terrorists. This is a, this is a government that is the, at, the, at the core of, of the uh, instability in the Middle East and the insecurity in the Middle East and is determined uh, in its lifetime to destroy the state of Israel, our best ally, and <laughs> as many of us as possible. I, I would like to get into the brain of Biden and Obama and Susan Rice and all of them and figure out why are you so nice to Iran? It's not going to work. What's wrong with you? What stupid lesson did you learn from Saul Alinsky or some communist who trained you that made you uh, that, 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 that distorted? And uh, for him to think that he's going to convince Iran, uh, I'm sorry, Saudi Arabia, to, to, to do us a favor when he wants to create on their doorstep a nuclear power that wants to destroy them. You'd have to assume that uh, they're as senile as you are or as uh, hate their country as much as you hate yours. Well, God bless America. Thank God. Thank God we can discuss these things. We'll have quite a discussion on Sunday with Dr. Maria Ryan. Please get to my podcast as well. RudyGiulianiCS.com. Talk to you on Sunday. God bless America.